You're listening to ROD, coming at you live. Yes, which way, what, when, how? Mr. ROD, flip the track right now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and listening to the show tonight on this lovely evening in Scottsdale, Arizona, July 11th. And I uh, hope you enjoyed the 4th last week. You know, I did. I wasn't here on the radio. I was <laughs> just enjoying the festivities through the weekend. And uh, a lot of other things that have been going on here in the music and film community this week. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. And speaking of that, I think a lot of you who listen to the show know that I kind of have a background in the music business, but I've been playing around in the film business a little bit in the last year or so. And uh, I have for you a really exciting uh, guest with me today. His name is Yanni Skiotis, and he is an accomplished, award-winning screenwriter with a bunch of projects uh, that he's done, over 40 projects. And on top of his own screenwriting projects, he's uh, critiqued over 1,000 scripts as an analyst and was selected to be on the first annual Sundance Independent Producers Conference when that went down. So welcome to the show, Yanni. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. And and uh, when you start into a new business or a new concept like a musician first picking up an instrument, or maybe before we call them a musician, uh, and, and they, they have this learning curve that's ridiculous. But they learn smoke on the water on their guitar, and they think they've got it all figured out, right? And then mm-hmm. every plateau, they learn what they don't know, and they get better and better. Um, first thing I did in my movie business career was write a script. And it's like, no, that's, that's not the very first thing. <laughs> and so everything is wrong with it in terms of technically and stories and characters and acts and turning points. And those are all things I started to learn about after I started to uh, – complete the, the screenplay and, and be prepared to pitch it. But it has been fascinating to learn. And then uh, meeting you uh, as you were uh, on a panel speaking about your background uh, and what the work you've done in screen, screenwriting is just phenomenal. Oh, so thanks. before we get too much into your career, how the heck did you get into the movie business? Where did How did this start in your life? I've been writing all my life. It's really the only thing I did consistently well over time, ever since mm-hmm. grade school. And yet I loved making up stories. And back in those days... We called it lying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back in those days, you can only watch the news at 5 and 10. Mm-hmm. So you had that whole gap there where no one knows if it's true or not. And so I'd make up these stories, and my buddies and oh, man, I ain't true. Yeah, it's true. So what you'll sit on the news. Then they'd run home and ain't on the news. <laughs> <laughs> but then when it comes to the movies, I, I wanted to write. And the teachers told me yeah, I'm a good writer or whatever. And so I've loved writing, but I didn't know what aspect to write in. So Meaning? then you know, like novels or mm-hmm. what. And so I uh, went into this English, uh, Miss Callahan was her name, and went into her office, and I seen a, a book on there on uh, writing movie scripts. So I opened it, I looked at the, the movie script pages, they didn't, there's more white on the page than black ink. Hmm. I said, hell, I can do this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I took the book and went Novels are a little different, they're more black than white. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, I said, I can do this. So I, that's how I, I started writing my, my first screenplay. Then at the end of the semester, I brought the book back, and uh, I said, Miss Callahan, I took your book. She said, oh, I know, Yanni. <laughs> <laughs> she, was a, she was an English teacher. She was a doll. So that, that she was knew it was in good hands, though. Yeah, yeah. So that's how, that's how I got into writing scripts, and I loved it because I, I like movies. You know? So I said, wow, I want to write and just put them together. I didn't really think much about it. So when you were young, did you spend a bit of time going out to the, to the films, uh, you know, movie houses? Did your parents take you, or how did you get into movies? Um, I just like movies. You know, I'd watch them. I liked them ever since grade school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I, I just followed them from there. And then when I learned more about how to write, um, you know, it just evolved. Like you said, it, it just evolved. And one thing led to another. So 
Mm-hmm. And then, then when I seen that, that book from Miss Callahan, and I said, I could do this. I told myself I could do this. Uh, it was great. But what really hooked me into writing was I, I won an award in that junior college for poetry. Mm-hmm. And then I, I read it to my dad. And then he told me, you got some of your mother's talent. And I said, wow. Because Greek women in her era were contained to the house. She was a very talented artist herself. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't allowed to express it. And there was a time that she was frustrated. So when he told me that, you know, that was all the, the motivation wow. I needed. Well, how old were you when, he, when you wrote this poem and he read it? Uh, 21. Okay. I started school late because we didn't have money. Mm-hmm. And um, so he had to work and do whatever. And then uh, the junior college back then was affordable, so I started there. And, well, uh, let's, let's go back even farther then. Uh, the first poem is at 21, you're saying. So then you were, your first screenplay was after the right. poem. Okay. Right. Um, let's go back farther. I want to picture where you came from. So were you raised in the States and where? Yeah, in uh, Juliet, south okay. of Chicago. All right. And Juliet. you were born there as well? Yeah, born okay. and raised. And my parents are from Greece, but I was born and raised there. So you're the first born in America? You had older yes. brothers and sisters? Older, too older. Too oh, okay, older. Yeah. cool. Yeah. And so what was the household like? I mean, what did your parents do? Um, my mom was, the, the you know, in the house. And my dad, mm-hmm. he had the nightclubs, the bars, the gambling joints, the speakeasies. The movie The Sting starts in Juliet. My old man ran Juliet. So, you know, he, he was the kind of guy that we only seen him at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Greek <laughs> Easter. Other <laughs> than you got to go to him. And because uh, he, he just wasn't a guy that going to be in the house. He had to be with people because when he came over on the boat, uh, you know, right away, shining shoes in the street, selling papers, hustling because there was no uh, government uh, assistance programs right. in those days. So, you know, that's all he knew. That's the only life he knew was nightlife. Hustling, and loved, hustling, hustling. And loved people. You know, he had, a, he had to be around people. Mm-hmm. And was he, uh, I mean, you say he had clubs and speakeasies. Was he a musician or is he just a businessman? No, he, he, he just owned it. He just he, recognized that's the yeah. kind of environment he wanted to be running because he yeah. could make some money. Yeah, and was, he made a lot of money in the, that era. Unfortunately for him, uh, or fortunately, I mean, look at it, yeah, he, didn't, he didn't hang on to it. He helped a lot of people. In that era, people were starving jumping out of windows what have you and i never forget my father said when you're not when a man is down you, you don't kick him you help him up and check this out in depression times when he had those speakeasies mm-hmm. he would tell us he's making 800 a week a friend of my brother's who knew my dad from that era said no your old man was making like two thousand a week that's more than babe ruth and the president made he said but he had to pay the mayor the fire the police and he, he took care of a lot of people, your old man did, uh, this guy told me, who, who knew him well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, instead of buying up the properties uh, for pennies on the dollar, he would pay the, he'd pay the mortgage for mm-hmm. it. So it was, you know, a really, really a, a kind act on his part. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I never get a statement, you knock somebody down, you know, you help them up, mm-hmm. you don't kick them. So, you know, that, that, that stuck with me as a kid, you know, and, and, and that. So it was, it was an exciting era, though, for him, though, too. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, he he got to have dinner with Al Capone because see, he was he was making all this money in the, the speakeasies, right? Uh-huh. In the in the the slots because Capone had the booze in the slots, and so um, <clears throat> Capone found out he was doing real well. He had like seven or eight joints there in Juliet, so they sent somebody down and said, "Hey, he wants to have dinner with." You. Okay, see, Al Capone wants to meet you. You're going to meet him, and so he goes with him. He said, "Nick, why don't you move up further in the south end of Chicago, and you know, I can have you run more joints, make more money." He said, well, I appreciate the offer, but there's only one problem. And he said, what's that? Well, it's a job I can't quit. <laughs> and so they laughed, and the old man got to stay in Juliet, and that, that was fine. 
That is awesome. Yeah, they left them alone, you know. <laughs> That's, that is awesome. That's pretty cool. So you grew up uh, in and out of the speakeasies or in and out of the clubs when you were young, just get to yeah. go in and hang out and see what was going on. And as a hustler, he probably taught you the value of money. Oh, he had he had a saying. <laughs> he had a lot of sayings. The only thing that comes to you in this world is bills. Everything else you got to go out and take. <laughs> so, and he's right, you know. I mean, yeah, you got you got to go and take things, you know, and go after them. That was his mentality. Well, and you told me you mentioned a story to me once about uh, when when you talk about um, the value of a dollar. That uh, he got you. There was a story where uh, people were giving you money, and he was like, "That's." Rabbit, cheers! <laughs> Tell me that story again. I, I was like about eight years old, nine years old or so, when you know the Beatles were coming into America, and you know, everyone loves the Beatles, and they're all over the charts, right? He had the he had the bar, he had the tavern, mm-hmm. and the you know he had the jute box and all the the, the singles, the the forty fives. And um, when the band took a break, I'd ask him back then. It's only a dime you could put in a jukebox, and I'd play Beatles songs, mm-hmm. and I'd sing along there because I was real shy. I'd hide behind a bar and the beer crates and then i wouldn't talk to nobody and so i asked the old man again for another dime to put in the jukebox because the band was on break and he led me over there this time usually he just give me the dime and i put it in there and picked a song and he 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 put me up in the bar he picked me up and moved sing dance like he's doing over there and you know, all these drunks are there looking at me and stuff and so you know the old man tells you to do something you do it yeah. so i'm singing the beatles song i'm moving around they're laughing and they're drinking and at the end of it they clap and they throw money on the on the bar dollar bills i'm freaking out i'm eight years old i never seen money before more i said it's for you fool pick it up for they take it back <laughs> <laughs> so, so i scrambled i grabbed those dollars and there were seven of them i remember it because i was born january 7th my patron saint day mm-hmm. so he pulled me off off the bar and kneeled down he said see there my boy never be afraid of people <laughs> <laughs> so after that he couldn't shut me up you know yeah, that's a salesman never be afraid of people they're your customers yeah yeah, yeah. he didn't want me to be shy he wanted me more outgoing yeah you know? well that probably helped a little bit and that, that broke the ice <laughs> now and, and then fast forwarding just a second uh well i guess we can get into the bit about quite more questions about your, your screenwriting I, I just had some thoughts on acting have you done any acting at all yet? have you ever crossed that line i there was an actor in this town named Dave Colosimo, by far the best actor that I ran into uh, in this state and even a lot of them out of L.A. He was taught by Adler and Strasberg themselves, not the disciples. Mm-hmm. He was that good. And he was in some movies in Ola Gay with Patrick Duffy. And we would have an exchange going on. Um, I would babysit his kids, mm-hmm. and he would help me with acting, which would improve my screenwriting. That's what I was wondering because it can yeah. definitely impact. So I wondered if you had. So did you ever get on the screen? Did you ever? He he helped me. Um, no, I I've turned down some stuff, you know. And mm-hmm. um, Dave wanted me to, you know. He said you got a presence, a, a certain look, whatever. But man, I seen all what he was going through, and I said, wow, this guy's like way more talented than I could ever dream of being. But he helped me sell my first screenplay because he was attached to it. But unfortunately, he died of brain tumors, so it, it didn't come off. But. Mm. Uh, no, I, after I seen what he went through, you know, I, I said, no, nah, acting's not for me. That's a whole nother bag. Totally. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, I can really appreciate it. I actually took an acting class from a local director, coach. Uh, and, and from my point of view, it was the same thing, more from a director's point of view. What's, what are these people saying to themselves? What's in their head so I know how to communicate in, in their language in a sense, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, it, was, it was fascinating to me because the biggest thing I learned, in, at least in this particular uh, you know, type of session, type of class, when they were using the Meisner method, uh, is that I always thought of acting equals pretending. 
And what I learned is no, acting is being real in, in a fictitious situation, but you're really being real. And out here we act. Out here we say nice things we don't mean. <laughs> out here, you know, we don't speak how we really feel. Out here we're pretending all the frickin' time, right. but on, on the set, you can't pretend. You really have to honestly react based on the situation and who your character is. So it's it's kind of peeling all that away and being more honest. So there's tons of exercises in being honest. And then how do you honestly feel about that? And the, the transition between this world and that world, a lot of actors have told me it's helped a lot of their relationships, you know, just in their life in general. Oh. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. And there's a, another story about Dave that relates to that. I used to go to his stage place. Mm-hmm. And I know sometimes you do something different one night to the next. And I said, Dave, why did you, like in one time, he flicked the ashes on the guy right. who was laying prostrate, right? Oh, the character that night felt it, and it needed to be done. So that's why he did it. That's why he did that difference. But you're right. There's more of a realism that comes out. And he would understand that reality in those stories. And that's where the, the writer comes in. We had a, a good vibe together. A lot of actors, unfortunately, don't know the writing end. And that's the germane where everything starts. So with, with Dave, he had this exercise. He had a, a shelf full of books. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, pick one. So I'd pick one. He said, open up to any page you want. Because they're all stage plays on there. And I'd open it up. And he would uh, he'd say, okay, there's probably two characters on the page, Yanni. Pick one. So I'd pick one. He'd say, give me that book for two minutes and time me. So he'd look at the two pages for two minutes, give it back to me. He said, let's go. Mm-hmm. He had his down, and I'm reading from the book, and he's already got his. I said, how do you memorize all this? He said, I don't, Yanni. I know those characters. I know that story. I know what they're going to say. Right. And that's, it's, again, it's that reality. And I thought it was luck. He said, oh, you think it's luck? Try another book. I did. <laughs> Same results. He said, Yanni, let me give you a hint. That book don't go on that shelf until I know it. Interesting. <laughs> he was that good. Wow. And that, that bookshelf was packed. Wow. Um, I want to talk about some of your projects, but before we get into those, um, I'm going to stick back with music again. Uh, in, the, in the screenwriting point of view, when you're actually creating a story, sometimes at that level, do you hear music? Yes. Do you think of the music? Do you address that at all if, when, when you have an opportunity to express that in your, in your screenplay? It depends on the, the, how can I put this, the, the type of music that you want to infuse in the script. Mm-hmm. If it's a song, then you, a lot of times you're picking a song. If it's musical scoring, a lot of times you leave that to them. And right. I don't, when it's musical scoring, you're, you're not concerned I don't mess with it. it. You're not you know? inspired by but, it. But there's songs that I've used in scripts. Where you're referencing it, so we need I'm the doing song those songs, yeah. So those are the songs that I'm picking. Now, you mentioned, too, that you were a young, uh, when you gave us a story about standing in the bar and singing, that uh, you were about eight years old and the Beatles were here or coming or around. Yeah. So uh, what's one of the earliest songs that you remember falling in love with of theirs when they came over? <laughs> I saw her standing there. Uh-huh. <laughs> when you did that at your gig, it was like, oh, oh yeah, my did. God. You ended up with that one. Oh, and that was, that was a, yeah, we did do that. And it's a, at a Lennon show where we do all Lennon. The band said, we need an encore. And I said, we don't know anything else. We're done. And they said, well, let's do I Start Staying There. And I'm like, that's a Paul song. We can't do it. <laughs> John wrote one line. So we got away with it. But. That is a great song, and I think I'll give you just a second to catch your breath, and we'll listen to a song that inspired you when you were a young man by the Beatles called I Saw Her Standing There. One, two, three, five! Well, she was just 17, you know 
listening to Auto D coming at you live. And this evening, my guest is Yanni Skiotis, and he is a screenwriter, successful screenwriter, and he also uh, lives in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah, Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. Greater, Phoenix. Greater Scottsdale. Greater Scottsdale. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are broadcasting from Scottsdale, Arizona, so you came over to the station. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about your beginning and you know, what your family was like growing up, and it sounds like it was a pretty exciting time, actually. Um, and uh, you then went on to school. You studied screenwriting. How did you get from school and into the movie business as a screenwriter? What, what were those kind of bridges? What happened? Well, I, I was a computer analyst because so, I noticed all these people are waiting tables and, you know, these actors. My friend Dave, he's a fantastic actor. He's getting parts here and there, whatever. But, you know, he's, him and his wife, it takes two. So I figured, well, wait a minute, man. I just want to wait tables my whole life. So I was in as a computer analyst and then I was writing movie scripts. And then I got lucky with a guy in L.A., he started a school out there that at the time they were behind UCLA and USC. Behind they, meaning physically located? No, um, as far as making writers, ah, you know, getting producible writers, uh, people out there that are working in the industry. They were, they were a little specialty school, so that's great because I couldn't afford to go to those other schools. Mm-hmm. So I hooked up with him, and he liked me, and he liked my writing. He became my mentor, and he also was my agent at that time. All right, so at this point you're, you're 21, 2, 3... Uh, actually, no, I'm 20, about 27. Okay. So you'd written, by now, how many screenplays had you written, do you think? Well, with him, I wrote, I wrote one. I mean, before you met him, I was just wondering, because you wrote the one in school. Yeah, that was the one. So that was the only one at this point. That's the one he read that he liked, too. And then, uh, then Dave got attached to that, and he died, so that, that project fell Mm -hmm. apart. And then, um, I got with my mentor in L.A., and it was a correspondent school. Mm -hmm. And they were really a renowned school. Uh, so he became my my guru, my mentor, my agent. Cause he had an agency at the time also where he was a literary uh, literary um, agent. So I was pretty lucky. It was all wrapped into one. And then I, I wrote some more scripts. And uh, the first two sold. And the first one, I mean, I got 30, I can't remember, it was 30 or 25,000 each. I can't remember the time. But I just know that the first one I sold, I blew the money in three hours. So... <laughs> So it wasn't much money, or you were that excited? Well, for me, it was a lot of money. It was like twenty-five or thirty grand. Wow! And, and back in them days, in the eighties, uh, awesome. yeah, early eighties, you just don't walk up to the bank. You know, the interstate banking didn't have it. Took two weeks to get the check. Then I said I wanted cash, so you got to come back to the bank, and because uh, I wanted to have cash, and I brought a little gym bag, and I put the cash in there. And I at two o'clock, I remember it was at two o'clock, and by five, I was broke. Wow! So you know. And I, but, you know, you're Can younger. I ask you what you did with the money? Oh, okay. I mean, did you, you didn't go give it all away to friends, and, or did you help some people, uh, or did you just go, I'm going to go drinking and partying and you know, have some fun? We, we did a little bit of everything. There's a, a poor kid from my neighborhood who's out there, and you know, we come from a rough neighborhood, and he never had anything, so I armonied him to the max, suit, shoes, tie, <laughs> cool. shirt, you name it. So I built a few grand on him, paid off a couple credit cards. And then we threw a big party. I mean, uh, we had everything at that party, you know, uh-huh. uh, women, booze, music, yeah. you know. So I probably blew about ten grand right there. And, you know, before you know it, it's gone. Wow. Know? But I figured, well, I'm going to have another one. Yeah. So I sold another money, one right? for the same amount, 25, 30 grand. And it took me two weeks to go through that. So, so you slowed down a little bit. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then I thought I had my big break. There was a a script I wrote called The Last Round is a boxing story. And uh, 
I thought it was pretty good. My mentor liked it a lot. And he had a relationship with a, a guy in a, uh, had a lot deal on Paramount, I believe it was. And so he said, Johnny, we're going to do it for five or eight million. You're going to get 5%. You know, I'm your agent. Give me, you know, I don't know what he wanted, 10, whatever he wanted. And um, so, okay, fine. And then at the last minute, the guy said, no. I said, I said, why? He said, he's going to Nashville. There's something about country music. And back then, country music wasn't nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, a few years later, it was number one. So he's seen something. So I lost, I lost 400000 on that deal. So Just because they decided not to make it, not to buy the script, essentially. Yeah. So he decided to call it off and... He quit. He quit his lot deal. He just up and moved to, to uh, Nashville. Well, that had to be a heartbreak. Yeah, because you know at that time, like I said, country music was nothing, and mm-hmm. then a few years later, all of a sudden, country music's number one. So he's seen something, right? You know, he had a, he had a vision. Because why would you leave a lot deal and Paramount, a picture deal, and then go to Nashville where there's really nothing out there at the time that was big, right? Well, it became big. So. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Pretty wise guy. Well, and that must have made you feel good, though, about your uh, potential future uh, as an opportunity to build income in the business. Because if you saw that I can make that kind of money when I sell one of these scripts to a big production company, this is going to be good. Yeah. You, you, you do. You know, you, you do. To me, you I always that. knew I had the talent. Yeah. And I knew I had the talent. What What you don't know is when you get the opportunity. Right. That's that's the thing. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, you have the talent. You keep honing your talent. Keep working it. Keep working it. Keep writing. Keep writing. Don't get lazy and just think that you're good. Some people write a couple things. They go out and teach. They do something. They get a little bit of ego up. And they mm-hmm. forget to keep writing. Yeah. Keep writing those scripts. Keep writing those scripts. Some will work. Some won't. Well, and do you find that you just write scenes and stick them in a drawer? Like, this is a clever little situation, and you, and you, or do you wait and let those things float around in your mind until you've got a whole story to write? When when I first started, I'd do that, and now a lot of times um, I'll, I'll wait for things to build to mm-hmm. where I feel that there's a story, or sometimes somebody hires me to write a short script, mm-hmm. or I get a quirk on something, I do it. Like, for example, one, one girl put something out on Facebook one day. I said, wow, that'd be a, kind of a cool hook scene right. into a, a dramatic piece. So I just wrote the scene. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a story, didn't have a script, but I had that scene. Right. So, yeah, that's out there somewhere. So sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Yes, I know songwriters, a lot of times they're like, they'll come up with one line. They're thinking, I have to write it down. I'll never think of it again. Yep. And they may never turn into anything, but rather than let it go. But but in my, my short studying of, of screenwriting, the concept is you're repeatedly told, don't, don't write scenes because you're going to end up throwing them away in terms of a, the movie. You start at the back, and you make every, sing, every single scene trigger the next scene, so you're not writing these amazing bits that are irrelevant. They turn out to not be something you need. And so to, in the sense of paring it down and only writing what's required by the storyline for the story to move forward, uh, as opposed to I, when I first started, I was writing all kinds. Of, someone would tell me a funny story, and I'm thinking, oh, I could have a couple of people do that in the movie. Like, in and of itself, this is an entertaining thing with an, to, and entertaining people. But in the end, it wasn't really driving the story forward. It was right. just entertaining. Right. And I'd spent all this time developing this really cool little thing that ends up getting chopped off the block. Because yeah. there's no point in it, unless it has its own right. story. Yeah. yeah, and you never know how it will fit in. Um, what I, I kept, and I, I still do now and then, is dialogue lines. Mm-hmm. Like, there's dialogue techniques. And there's certain dialogue techniques you see used time after time in movies. 
But sometimes you'll hear a line, and you'll say, man, I'm going to keep that line. Mm-hmm. And so I've got a file to this day, a little Word document. If I hear something that I just think has a ring to it, I'll right. put it in there. Right. And sometimes when I'm perusing and just searching or reviewing, I'll just look at those lines. Sure. And some of them I've used in scripts. I pull them out and say, hey, you know what? That'll fit in this script. Or, hey, that'll fit in that script. Yeah, probably review that every time you're reading the writing the script. Just kind of go back and glance and see because yeah. you've got new characters, new stories, and sometimes you can grab right. something. Um, give me an example of a, of a dialogue trick or a dialogue rule that you're, oh, um, that you're referring to. One is the, that's used a lot is called the connect word. The connect word, like the, the comedy skit, who's on first? Right. That's all about connecting words. Who's on first? Well, he's on second. But, you know, so you're, you're using that word first to connect to the next mm-hmm. actor. And the, the actor A says the word first the first time of the connect device, and actor B is using it to, to nail it to the punchline. Jokes use uh, that a lot. Also, uh, third time's a charm is another technique. You ever hear a joke? The guy says, okay, you know, he's going to do this. And he's going to do it again. And then the third time, it was where you get to deliver the punch. Because after three, it gets too boring. Right. You know, so it's like uh, any joke you hear a lot of times, that third time they're going to deliver. Mm-hmm. That's when the punchlines come. Mm-hmm. If you go beyond that, you've, it's, too, it's too much. Less than three, you don't have enough time to set up the punch. Right. So those are a couple that are used quite a bit in, in films. That's interesting. Now, um, when you were... Uh with this mentor, this particular mentor you were referencing, I've forgotten his name. His name is Alan. Alan. I, I didn't tell you. And what was oh, there, maybe that's why I forgot. <laughs> uh, uh, but he, what was his his he background? Was a, he was a good writer. He um he wrote himself. Uh, he acted with Humphrey Bogart. He goes back into that day. Okay. And back in that day, writers got together. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, you don't see it too much. Everybody's worried about stealing this, stealing that, whatever. And, um, you know, they don't collude uh, like they did back in those days. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a different era. Uh, he was a good writer. Matter of fact, he let me rewrite one of his scripts on domestic violence mm-hmm. named Connie. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty good. I learned a lot from him. Mm-hmm. And, but he, he had both. He was able to both write and teach. A lot of people can't do both. Mm-hmm. A lot getting paid can't do either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's. It's, it's the business. You know? Yeah, it's when your cust, especially when your customers are students, they can't really evaluate you because they don't know anything about what you're doing. They're trying to find out. Um, you know, when and so it's it can be a place where you can park if you're average and be okay. Yeah. But what's uh, interesting is you actually do a lot of teaching as well, which we yes. haven't talked about. And uh, you referenced how exciting it is for you to have students come up to you years later and, and still recognize you and reference uh, one of your classes. Yeah, I, I like to teach. It's um, it's kind of like, you know, you, you received uh, something and, and you give it back. You know, mm-hmm. you, you pay it back. You give it to someone else and let, let them run with it, too. So like St. Luke says, give and it shall be given to you. Mm-hmm. What's implied in there is given to you a thousandfold. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really a, a good feeling and that's what I like about teaching uh, the fact that it's it's a an aspect a subject matter that I really like a lot. I'm mm-hmm. passionate about it, and so then when you help someone else with their scripts and teach them tricks and techniques, they get into it, and you know you see that connection. You mm-hmm. hear about it. They, they send you an email years later. You meet somebody in a mall again, or hey, Skilties, what's up? You know, well, mm-hmm. uh, uh, here's my new project. Blah blah blah. Hey, that's great. You know, so it, it it's nice. It's an, it's a nice feeling. Now, when you mentioned um, hooking up with the mentor, uh, he already read your script and liked what you had written. So you already 
were good at this, you know, essentially. But I would imagine in your work in reading scripts, because you've, uh, as it's mentioned earlier, you've professionally reviewed over a thousand scripts. Yes. That has to incredibly impact your writing as you yeah. see all these other people write and you start to recognize all the things that are right, things that are wrong, right. clever new ideas, ways to, you know. Yeah, you, and that was through him. That was through my mentor. So I tell had me a, a little bit about the impact of that process. You, did you feel that happen in your writing when you would go back yeah. and write? I had, a, I had to write scripts for nine years before he let me go to work with him. And he was old school Jewish. He said, Yanni, you're going to make one mistake. It's going to be your first, your last, and your only. <laughs> and so I didn't make a mistake in over a thousand scripts. And he was, he was very hard-nosed like that, but it was out of love for you being good at, at your craft is why he was hard-nosed. It wasn't because he was a bad person. Right. So, so he was getting scripts submitted to him. Yes. And, and I, rather than read them, you're the person. I was the analyst. And, and if, he, if you found something that you thought, well, it's not put together properly, but it's a right. worthwhile story. Did you end up with a rewrite, or did you start a relationship with the original screenwriter? How did that go? What, what we did was a three-tiered process. Um, we had a system to where the first pass of it, I would look at all the formatting. And we had, uh, we had numbers. Like 101 was the, the heading was wrong on day or night. 102 was the location of the heading was wrong because it wasn't consistent. 103 was interior, exterior. So we had all this whole numbering system that I helped create because I was a computer guy uh, that he didn't have before. So instead of writing the same error, writing it out all the time Every or typing time. it out, it I just put 101, one, <laughs> yeah. whatever. So, But it, it helped a lot. And then we had the second pass after we corrected that. Then the second pass would be on dialogue and exposition techniques. Mm-hmm. So now, this, you made these corrections on the first pass? Yeah. Okay. No, on the first pass, we, we corrected the formatting. Right. And then the second pass was exposition and dialogue techniques. Mm-hmm. Now you got a so-called clean script because there's nothing worse to look at than a script that's messier in hell all over the board. You can't focus on the story. Right. So after those were corrected, then we analyzed the story structure. That's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You're looking at doing that over 100 pages a thousand times. Yeah. You well, hours. if you read them once, it's a thousand times, yeah. a thousand scripts. But you read those scripts over and You're over. You're going three over. times, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, some would be three, some would be only two because they wouldn't pay you for the third pass. And so, you know, but you you're end up going through those scripts a minimum of once and usually two or three times. Mm-hmm. But you, you become a better writer, too, because you learn what doesn't work and what does work. You also find out that there are some really good scripts out there that aren't getting made. So there's some, I remember one by a girl named Amy Taylor. It was mm-hmm. romantic comedy mm-hmm. set in Chicago because I'm from Chicagoland. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, I don't, let me tell you, that girl, that had Chicago, that breathed Chicago. Any page you picked it up, that was Chicago. And it was a beautiful romantic comedy. I don't know what happened to it, but her only problem was that she didn't know how, I wouldn't say didn't know how, but she would overwrite the hit. She'd go beyond the end of the scene. Mm. There's an old saying, cut off the heads, cut off the tails. And she wouldn't cut off the tail, and I finally kept on her, kept on her, kept on her, and she got it. And uh, she'd end the scene at the right time, as opposed to going beyond the scene. Yeah. Great script. I have felt that in writing myself. Uh, I haven't heard anyone say that yet, but I have felt as I get an idea, oh, I'm gonna, and you put in two or three more lines of dialogue, and you go, you know what? They might be clever, but no, it's done. It's all, it yep. was already done. And when yep. you put it in context going into the next scene, you, that's when you feel it doesn't belong there. You yep. know, we're done. It was yep. already done. Uh, that's fascinating. And your, see, your music background helps you a lot because music is essentially telling a story. Every song has a story. Mm-hmm. 
and that you know and there's a story in every song however you want to phrase it right so that helps you if you want to get into the screenwriting world because you know when a song ends when a verse ends when a stanza ends right that's coming from your music background all you know is just changing the medium and putting it into film writing yeah so that's a great asset to have because a lot of writers don't know how to end a scene mm-hmm. they don't know how to start it either mm-hmm. so it's a it's a good it's a good uh well, I was drawing a comparison as well to the to the reviewing of all of those scripts because I recall as a recording engineer, mixing engineer, mixing music, I worked at a school for a while. And when I was finally given the class of grading all the students' final mixes is when my mixing started getting a lot better. So I was, mm. I was 22 and I was the instructor, you know. And I, didn't, I knew what I was doing, but I wasn't great by any means yet, you know, still early in my career. And then when the students would do it, you'd hear, you'd hear 10, 15 different students do a mix of the same song. So you started to be able to really tell when, oh, now there's a good version of this song because I've heard it done five times already today, you know? Right. And so it started to really help me focus on placing things even better by seeing these, this other work. And I wondered from the writer's point of view, with all that review that you had an opportunity to do, if it didn't kind of speed up your own creative process of, of, of getting good at screenwriting. Yeah, it, it helped. Uh, but the main thing is, you know, you have to stick with the with the techniques, with the structure, and you keep pounding them on your own way because you, you'll have your own style. Right. Like, and, f- they, and they always say, write what you know. So when you write. Yeah. Well, you write what you know is a good place to start. Okay. But also a lot of times once you learn the techniques and once you understand structure and your toolkit, which all the different techniques are, then you could write many other genres. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you could write stuff about – you don't really know a whole lot about it, but if you stick with what you know about screenwriting, if you like some of these things that are technical, if you r- look at the story, a lot of times there's not that much technical jargon in the movie. Right, it's the background. It's about really. the story. Yeah, the the, the technical stuff is start kind of kind of like the uh, the subject matter, and uh, so you don't need to be an expert in it. It helps if you know what you're writing about. Like my first one was the white ghetto, because it was a low income neighborhood. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. I knew it. I lived it. You know, I, I wrote another one called, the second one I saw was Made the Best Man Lose. What was it called? Made the Best Man Lose. Okay. So, you know, I knew that because I I did boxing. I trained mm-hmm. fighters. I fought a little bit myself. I wasn't good enough, obviously. But, you know, I knew that world. Mm-hmm. So if you know that world, it helps you a lot. If you don't know that world, you're going to rely more on your screenwriting technique and how good of a screenwriter you are and then learn some of that world. Do you feel watching a movie that you can tell uh – I guess the screenplay gets changed so much by the time it hits the screen. Even you can't really base what you're seeing on that being what the screenwriter wrote. I was going to see. I was going to see if you had a sense that you could you could measure whether that guy lived it or whether he invented it when you watch a film. Yeah. Um, I don't say I, I can't say that I know that I did that. But a lot of times you could predict what's going to happen in a movie, mm-hmm. and then um, yeah, there's the movie that you write, the movie that they film, and the movie that they edit. So in the, an old axiom in film, there's actually three films that, that get made, but we see the one that was edited. Yeah. So, yeah, but basically you're still following the scripts, not like, oh, the script is here and the movie is like way out in outer space. Well, tell me, what, what was one of your, um, you know, through your career so far, what was one of your favorite projects that you uh, were involved in? I mean, you've got some really cool projects that are on my list here, and I can throw some names at you, but do you have one in, my, in particular that you want um, to talk about? Yeah, I got I got several actually, but um, you know my my three favorites were um, if loving you is wrong, American Cutie, and this latest one, Stolen Lilies. So um, you know I'm, I'm 
pretty jazzed about those. Now, these are all screenplays that you wrote. Right. So pick Original one, let's screenplay. say, let's say uh, Stolen Lilies. What's, what's happening with that? Uh, right now, we actually, a financier really liked a story. He said the writing was intense. Uh, he said compelling. It's producible. It's, you know, you, you got it well written to uh, budget-wise and, uh, you know, production-wise. So he's got a finance company. They'll put up 80%. I got to find 20%. He's mm-hmm. also in England right now, as we're talking, trying to get his fund funded. So he's got two sources for, for finance. He accepted that one. He also accepted If Loving You Is Wrong. Stolen Lilies, I really like. It's about sex trafficking, mm-hmm. human trafficking, whatever you want to call it. And I just kind of fell into that. A friend of mine, he sent me, it's, it's his pet project. And uh, he's really into this subject matter. And I, I didn't really know a whole lot about it. Yeah, you heard of sex trafficking. You know, I've seen a couple movies on it. And then he sent me a couple of scripts because he wants to do a film on sex trafficking. And uh, he wanted me to review the scripts. And, uh, you know, I, I'm honest in my critiques. I try to be straightforward. And they were bad scripts. They were just bad. And a lot of things wrong with them. I told them, boom, 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 yada, yada, yada. And I said, hey, you know what? Let me write one. He said, you'll do it on the com? I said, yeah, I'll do it on spec, no problem. So I did and named it Stolen Lilies. And I really fell in love with the story. And and this one particularly, the, the B stories, the uh, B stories are very tough to write because the B stories got to relate to the A story or else you need to cut it. And then B stories need three beats. Each B story needs three beats, one in the beginning, one in the middle, one in the end. That's your classic structure of setting up B stories. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder than it sounds because you got to make it move that story forward. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of work, but I, but I got into this and I liked it and I fused music with it. Mm-hmm. The Janis Joplin song. Me and Bobby McGee is interwoven through that whole script, and it's got its three beats. And then we used a couple of other songs uh, as well. Um, can you give me uh, or just an example for somebody who doesn't understand story A, story B, and beats? Can you give me an example of uh, a film uh, that would represent that well? I mean, that's a horrible thing just to throw No, and actually, there is a really good film that was very successful and very well written and acted, Aaron Brockovich. Ah, it does movie. a tremendous job on the B stories. Mm-hmm. That biker boyfriend mm-hmm. taking care of the kid and the relationship and mm-hmm. all that's driving when well, she gets bigger and he's getting more responsibility and blah blah blah. They have mm-hmm. the arguments and the fights. The B stories in that and how they're interrelated to the A story is perfect. It's great screenwriting. So that's a good you'd recommend people to see that movie and in terms of screenwriting. Yeah. Experience. Yeah, look at it and uh look at that movie and look how they handle the the, the relationship. Uh, and there's other ones as well in that movie offhand too. So, but um, that that one with the biker guy, her boyfriend, is especially well, well, obviously seen. So when you look at that movie, you're seeing those B stories and how they're driving the A story. Aaron Brockovich working for that attorney right. and got to catch these guys. And yet she's got all these problems in her life, and yet everything is going forward. Everything that biker does to help her argue with her, it's driving that A story for them, causing her problems on her job or what have you. You know. So it's beautifully written, and, and the way they time it in each act is uh, that don't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I definitely recommend uh, Aaron Brockovich. What's uh, a movie you've seen recently that you were a real fan of that kind of surprised you? Oh, God. Good question. I can't even know. Uh, I watch all these Netflix movies, and after a while they become a blur. <laughs> yeah, because they're coming. I watched a movie I was halfway through before I thought, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. There's just too many of them to list. You know, I can't. Uh-huh. I can't think of one offhand. You know. Uh-huh. Um, there's a movie I'd like to get your take on if you've ever if you do ever see it, and that's called uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. 
Have you heard of that? Haven't, ne- haven't seen it. Yeah, haven't it's really. It. Uh, I think it's one of my favorite movies, and it's, it's oh really? It's, it's interesting, and I don't. And that's coming from no no concept. That's just a consumer who who doesn't have that basis to apply of what's right or what's wrong. Because it was before I saw this before I ever started even writing a screenplay or really thinking about it. But I found that that movie felt to me so different than any movie I'd seen from the director's point of view. I thought. This guy, this is either his first movie or he decided to make a movie not like any movie he's made. And he wanted this to be a wholly separate thing from anything uh-huh. people have really experienced. And he didn't. So I'm not talking weird. I'm just saying a couple little tricks that I've never seen done in a movie that, that right. take you out of wherever you're at and say, no, just watch this. This is what we're doing. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting story. Well, that's the main thing is that you really liked. Well. Yeah, that, I loved it. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. You know, is that, that you liked. My brother was a great trumpet player. And... Um, you know, I was asking him about music. He knows all these intricacies about music, how to read music, blah, blah, blah. He said, hey, you know what? None of that matters. Either like the band and you go watch them or you don't. Either buy the record or you don't. Mm-hmm. Just like clothes. You either like the, like the outfit and you buy it. <laughs> Same with the movie. Either like it or you don't. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the, the viewer, the audience, they're the d- decision maker. Mm-hmm. They like it. It's good. <laughs> Now, you, you know, again, you've, you've been really successful. You've had, uh, I, I have a little quote here that someone uh, once called you the best writer I've encountered, except for Robert Town. And uh, yeah. I thought I was the hardest worker in Hollywood, but Yanni's right up there with me. And this is uh, Benjamin Rosenberg. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. And he, he, tell us a little bit about Benjamin. Benjamin uh, helped me immensely with the script, and I gave him credit for writing it called Five Days. And he's one of Hollywood's uh, top first ADs. His father was Stuart Assistant Rosenberg. directors. Yeah, first AD, and he was uh, one of the top. I think he might have taken a, a hiatus from the business for a while, but he was in all the big movies, uh, you know, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, you know, uh, Nine and a Half Weeks, uh, Mambo Kings. He had over 40 films Benjamin did. Wow. His father was Stuart Rosenberg, A-list director, uh, Pope of Greenwich Village, which Benjamin also worked on, and uh, uh, Amityville Horror, Brubaker's dad worked <laughs> 20 years in television before he did features. And this guy's calling you one of the best writers he's ever experienced. Yeah, right. That's pretty, Robert pretty high yeah. praise. I was shocked because Benjamin's old school Jewish. He passes out compliments like we toss manhole covers. Uh-huh. So when he dropped that one on me, I went, whoa. But, um, you know, yeah, it was, it was a great compliment because uh, Shane Black, he worked with on uh, Lethal Weapon. And I met Shane Black before, and he's a tremendous Hollywood writer. I said, Benjamin, you work with Shane Black. I said, I know, Yanni, and you're the best writer except Robert Town. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I ain't going to argue with that. Robert Town did Chinatown. And, and when um, Robert Town also is coming up from the era of my mentor, so I started reading some of Robert Town's scripts. You know, and, uh, and my writing style that was heavily influenced by my mentor is in the, in the mold of um, Robert Towns. Kind of reminiscent of the same Yeah, style. we use some of the same techniques. You mm-hmm. know, we come from the same school of writing. And, you know, my mentor and Robert Town were from that same school. And mm-hmm. so it, it made sense. You know, I said, wow, Robert Town. And when I looked at him, I said, well, these are a lot of the techniques that my mentor, Alan, taught me that Robert Town's using. Because when you read a script and once you know the techniques, then you, you could pick them off. And when I teach students, I show some movies and I show these techniques, the dialogue techniques and even the exposition techniques. Although we'll look at the script and have the script there, we'll have the, the scene there. And then in like uh, some uh, Tarantino stuff and uh, Lincoln Lawyer, when I was uh, teaching, I, I showed them Lincoln Lawyer scenes. We have the script. That's a great one. I like that. Yeah. And uh, I said, see how this works and the, the, uh, the scene in um, Pulp Fiction. Where they go to the car, they go to the ho- uh, the 
apartment, go outside the end of the hallway and come back to the apartment. All those beats, those are expo beats. Tarantino nails them, but along with those expo beats, he's also delivering dialogue beats and story beats. So it's a magnificent scene. So do you I think a that. lot of that's being accomplished in the in the direction and editing after the fact, or do you think that's that was in the screenplay? Do you think it's he wrote that it? Well? He wrote it that way because we had the script okay. up, and then we're watching. Oh, okay. This the the movie as well. Mm-hmm. So he's writing it that way, and then we're watching it that way, and then the students see it. You know, it's mm-hmm. an old, it's an old technique. See, say, do. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're say, see, do. You say it. Okay, I've said this technique. They see it. Mm-hmm. Now they go do it. it it's it's an, an, uh, a Harry Wong teaching technique. He's one of the great teacher of teachers, Harry Wong. So I use that method a lot in teaching screenwriting because it works. Students get it. Okay, they hear me say it, talk about the technique. Then they see that technique being deployed in both script and film simultaneously. And then now go out and do it. Mm-hmm. Because now you, awesome. you, you've seen both ends of the spectrum. Producer Terry Donnelly, 12 Angry Men, The Exorcist, The French Connection. Uh, he's quoted as having said, the script is too good not to get produced. So well written, it practically directs itself. And that was, um, if 11 years wrong. Terry's a great guy. I, I met him in 98 to do a um, uh, scheduled budget for me. And we became friends and working partners. And, and he's been to the mountaintop. Mm-hmm. Four Academy Awards he's been involved with. He won uh, Cable Ace uh-huh. for Best Producer of the Remake of 12 Angry Men with William Friedkin. He had a 30-year career with Friedkin. They don't come any classier, any more knowledgeable than him. And right now he's over at uh, Scottsdale Community College helping students. And I um, I help Terry on their production scripts uh, that they, they go out and film for their screenwriters. Uh, but he's he's a class act all the way. And, yeah, I would, and again, Terry's old school. He doesn't compliment freely <laughs> so when he dropped that i mean i said wow you know i said that's really nice thanks there's some neat uh projects from a student project point of view coming out of scc i um, saw some stuff at the um ndaz fest film festival last weekend hmm. and uh it's really nice stuff so I, was, I thought that was pretty cool yeah and uh i have some students i taught from there before that still contact me and, and stuff and uh so it, it's nice you know it's so right now, um, what have you got uh, that you're all excited about? You've got a couple on, that are essentially under contract or about could get made shortly. Yeah, we're in place. Way I look at writing, you got to have a couple home runs. Like right. you know, they're they're for me they're bigger budgets. Uh, Stolen Lilies and If Loving You Is Wrong. So you got a couple home runs out there that you want to uh, attain. I always encourage writers to you know have a couple home run scripts. Like If Loving You Is Wrong, I was offered 125 thousand to sell it i didn't what makes it a home run script when you get compliments like that from oh, okay. people like donnelly and, and rosenberg well, you want yeah you want all your scripts yeah. to get compliments like yeah. that. you really yeah. want to write great stuff so when they you know when people in the industry compliment you like that then you know you know that that material is something mm-hmm. you know so to me and you know you, you know you're an artist you know when you hit the note right and when you didn't yeah. Yeah. it's the same with a screen like stolen lilies you sit there going this is really good this is yeah. really good you i knew stolen it. lilies was a good script I just knew it. Yeah. I didn't need to shop it. I did, you know, get other people's opinion, and they liked it. But, you know, I knew it was good. Mm-hmm. You know, you write enough scripts, you know when you're good, you know when you're not so good. You, you just know it. Um, and then, you know, there's there's a, a couple I'm working with now, uh, 
Kara Alvey and her husband Matt. They want me to uh, write a, a docu a drama with them, and they got a personal story they want to tell. So I'm excited about that because I get to to work with people I like. I don't know a lot of people locally because you know I don't really get out a lot. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I like to um, work with, with local people, too, because I like writing, you know, and I'd like to help more people with their scripts and, and uh, things like that. Because a lot of times I see the flaws in movies based on if at the script level things were done differently, the movie would turn out better. And I, I helped the girl that I worked with. She was involved with a little short film out here. And, um, unfortunately, she gave me the script after they already did it. Right. And... Um, and so we looked at the script, and I said, boom, 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 let's do this, let's do that. I said, oh, my God, Yanni. It made the scene much more powerful. Mm-hmm. It's not because I'm some great guy. It's just because I know these techniques, and I've done them for 30 years. And she said, dang, I wish I would have brought you beforehand. I said, dang, I told you to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she's a young girl, uh, uh, and she's uh, up and coming and acting and stuff. So I said, yeah. So, see, those kind of things I wish I could, I could help, and if people um, – Want me to? I, you know, I've helped people through the through the years. Well, and how do people uh, contact you? I'm on Facebook, Ioanni Skiotis. Um, I also got a page out there as uh, Ioanni Skiotis, um, script consultant and screenwriter. I think it would be very wonderful if you would slowly spell your first and last name for yeah, anybody who wants to find you. <laughs> right, I O A N N I S. That's the first name, and then the last name is S K I O T E S. And there ain't many Ioanni Skiotis out there. <laughs> now, see, do a little Googling and you'll find them. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Awesome. I, I have a little script consulting service out there, too. And, and I get hits from time to time and scripts from time to time. So it's, uh, it's fun. Now, you, never, you were an Arizona guy, and you got this work in Hollywood, but you didn't ever make the move to Hollywood. No. Uh, I just, you know, every time I've been out to L.A., or oh, when you're moving out here and stuff like that, I said, I'm not. I just find it too much negative energy. Mm-hmm. There, there's too much backbiting, just too much. I don't know. It's just negative to me. And to me, that affects my creativity. And, uh, you know, I, I give kudos to those that could put up with it. Me, I'm Greek, and I, I'll be outspoken. I'll, you know, I'll be a nice guy, but, you know, push me to a point, and a nice guy left the building, you know. And uh, I, I, I just say, you know what, it's better for me than if I'm not mm-hmm. there. Do you lose work? Yeah. But even when I work for a studio out there, I corresponded. I, right. didn't, I didn't have to live there. Well, and especially these days, we all work on our laptops. So wherever we're doing can live on a server anywhere. It can get pretty virtual. And if you have the relationships, you don't necessarily have to be there all the time. Right. And that's what you lose is the relationships by not living there. Mm-hmm. It's hard to make when you're not there. Um, but, you know, there's nowadays there's film all over. Mm-hmm. You know, I got through Terry, I got an assignment on a $4 million film. And, uh, you know, from that, it fed off to another assignment I got. And I got paid to uh, review that assignment, you know, that script. So, you know, it's it's not necessary. It's a nice. But if, if you're not living out there, they're making films all over. Right. Well, I know you said you don't get out much. So <laughs> I really appreciate that you got out tonight. You came down <laughs> to the too. station and hung out with me. I really appreciate it. I do. I had a great time. And uh, keep me posted. Uh, we'll post stuff here, too, about uh, when the, these other films are going to come out, if they get into production and happen. Okay. And... Uh, We'll stay in touch. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Take care.